This episode of the Film Comment Podcast is brought to you by MUBI, a curated online cinema streaming exceptional films from around the globe. Each day, MUBI introduces a new gem, and you have one month to watch it. From timeless masterpieces to festival fresh darlings, every film is hand-selected. Try MUBI free for 30 days at mubi.com slash filmcomment. That's mubi.com slash filmcomment for your extended free trial. Autograph Collection Hotels are carefully chosen for their unique design, passion for craft, and an inherent connection to the locale. Each hotel has its own exactly-like-nothing-else story to tell. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project supports independent film and celebrates the power of storytelling to inspire and connect people and places by leaving a lasting imprint. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Filmworker. This documentary about Leon Vitale, who gave up acting to work with Stanley Kubrick for decades, offers a rare glimpse into Kubrick's filmmaking process. In theaters starting May 11th. In the New York Times, Manola Dargis says, the day after is a lovely, intricately fractured story. South Korean master Hong Sang-soo's 21st feature, The Day After, opens May 11th exclusively at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Hello and welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. Uh, this is Nicholas Rapold, Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and I'm live at Cannes, or still living. We just started the festival, so I'm still alive. Uh, and I'm happily joined here for our you know, inaugural daily podcast by... Amy Talbin. Amy Talbin, uh, one of our contributing editors, also a contributing editor to Art Forum, uh, and a veteran of more festivals editions than I am at Cannes. I think so, yeah. I think it started coming <laughs> sometime in the 90s, in the 90s like yeah. early-ish in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was still at the Village Voice. Uh, and I've just come from the opening screening of Everybody Knows, uh, which, not like a required reading, <laughs> I guess you'd say, but uh, someone had to see it. Uh, but we'll get back to that, uh, I guess, at the end. We can just start off with a preview, uh, a bit of the slate what it looks like to us. I always feel like we're doctors, like diagnosing a patient that's come in and we don't know yet know how it's going to turn out. Well, I am here because I want to see the new film by Jean-Luc Godard and I wouldn't miss that for the world. And I'm already nervous about how big the lines will be because they've, you know, shifted around the festival so right. that screenings are different for the press than they used to be, except this one is a 4.30 screening, so it's exactly the same, which meant that last time there was a Godard film here two years ago, I think I lined up three hours before, and I was on a line that went through the park that was over a half a mile from the theater. I remember that from Goodbye to Language. I remember yes. that. Yeah. So I think, so that's that's what Cannes is like. You yeah. come for particular films, and then it's scary yeah. that you won't get it. Yeah, it was definitely worth it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe I'll just quickly explain for, for uh, listeners a bit about the screening change, which may sound like a bit of, you know, press inside baseball or something. But it does kind of affect how, you know, the, the rhythm of the festival and, and when people get to see things and consequently when you get to hear about things. And basically... Uh, in the service of making premieres, real premieres, there are no advanced press screenings, basically, for films. Right. And so for, I guess, 
decades, they, they had the pattern of these early morning screenings in their grand, the Grand Lumière uh, in the mornings, which would precede the evening screening of, of the same film, which sometimes maybe had, you know, the awkward result that, you know, critics would be destroying films. And then, you know, the stars and the director have to walk the red carpet and, you know, pretend that everybody didn't know to, you know, twist around the title of this movie tonight. Um, that's ostensibly the reason they gave. I don't know if there's also a bit of just kind of shaking up the box or shaking up the pecking order a little that you can also do when you do this mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, and, you know, then there's always the blame the tweeters thing, you know, blame Twitter, that people were just, you know, too rapidly disseminating their opinion. Well, the, the letters that we, or the email missives that we got mm-hmm. had real big contradictions because on the one hand, they were blaming the tweeters. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, they were saying, well, now we realize that critics don't need so much time to write or think about what they're going to write, meaning that rather than going in the morning and having half a day to write your review if you're a daily reviewer, now you have to leave the evening screening and basically write in an hour, especially if you're writing for the trades. And I think that that is significant. I think that there's a massive disrespect for critics here, but in general. Yeah, you know? and it's strange because it also seems to kind of cede the ground to the trades because there are going to be screenings that are just the premieres and, and, and the press screening is not, you know, the wide press screening is not the next morning. So that means the only people who are going to go to those really out of the trade, to trade paper people, you know, God bless them. Uh, I don't envy doing that. But yeah, as you're saying, you'll write it an hour, two hours, or three hours and... Um, We'll we'll see how it plays out. You know, it's also kind of an experiment. But so that's the background for the timing and things. Uh, and also, the festival's moved up a day. Like, well, the festival's moved up a week, also. Oh, in a week. This, a week. Yeah. But yeah. it opened on a Tuesday rather than a Wednesday. Right. Yeah. And it's closing on a Saturday rather than a, a Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. Yeah. I, for me, it kind of seems to lose a bit of momentum that way, at least the opening momentum, because you would kind of go into the weekend when you know they programmed big mm-hmm. films. Um, but maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, so let's let's look at the, some of the films and uh, what's what's jumping out to us. There's the Godard. Um, so you'd be happy if you just saw the Godard and, and, and uh, you went know, home, um, got on the plane. It's right the now. same day, back to back, as Jarjanka's film. Mm, yeah. Uh, it follows the Godard. So after that, yeah, <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> there are go. other films I want to see. Yeah, yeah. But that is quite quite a day to, to put together um, between the two of them. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely excited for those two films as well. Um, you know, I mean, I guess for the, the Jarjanka, it's partly also that... It seems to be a bit of a bigger budget he's mm-hmm. working with. I mean, not that he hasn't been very resourceful with, with with the budget he's working with. He always kind of manages to have a scale to it by the force of, of his subject matter that you don't never sort of aware of that. So now that he actually does, I'm kind of curious what that looks like. Yeah, me too. And I'm also curious about how he managed that, considering that mm. Touch of Sin was such a polarizing film in China. And yeah. I'm I'm not even sure it ever got a real release in China. Hmm. When he came here and showed it, he had a press conference after. He didn't do any individual press conference, press, you know, one-to-one. But he he's great at press conferences. 
And he talked a great deal about how he had really made this film for people in China uh, and the the inspiration or the source material was why of those stories in that film were widely available on the web and he found them there and he did not think this would be a problem since people were already talking about these stories and he just figured that the conversation would get larger if there was a film and it turned out that they really were very displeased with this, mm. and show, so it showed around the world, but not in China. Yeah. So I'm very curious about what this will be. Yeah, and he had a film in between. Uh, Mountains may depart. Yes. Yeah, which was a a gentler film. A gentler film. Yeah, but also hugely ambitious to mm. to try to do the past, the present, and the future <laughs> in one movie. Um, but he's actually one of two filmmakers from China in the festival who are, are definitely doing you know fairly controversial work uh, the other is worth noting if only for the curiosity value Wang Bing uh-huh. who possibly well actually definitely has the longest film of this edition but that's out of competition but that's out of competition they don't have eight hour that's films true. in competition no that no they don't but Jerry Framo or whichever scheduler did put it on the Wednesday, like the second day of the festival. Mm-hmm. The only other thing that has shown, this is effectively the second film in the festival is an eight-hour movie by Wang Bing. And I, I hear there are people who are going to take that huge chunk out of the first day. But um, the reason I mentioned him was just because of the controversial material. This one is about people who were incarcerated in re-education camps in the Gobi Desert. Um, and that's a subject he's touched upon a couple of times already with... Um, Hey Fan Ming a memoir. So this is almost like a gauntlet throwing down if you do an eight hour movie that is kind of unignorable. Um so we'll we'll see what happens with that and he'll be here at the festival too. Um so that's that's probably the outlier <laughs> among the lineup. And then what else? Uh, well, I'm very interested. I'm I'm gonna mispronounce her name. Not that I saw her first film, but I was interested in hearing about it. It's uh, a French filmmaker, Eva Houssin. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, that sounded interesting. Uh, it's The Daughters of the Sun is the title of the film, and it has that uh, uh, great actress who is was the star of uh, Jim Jarmusch's oh, yeah. last film, Go Shifter Farahani. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Emmanuel Berko who is uh, a French star, mm-hmm. um, and it takes place in Kurdistan. Yes. Uh, but her last film, which, did you see her last film? I admit I didn't. The premise was too much for my delicate <laughs> sensibilities. No, I don't mean, I just, there was, there was, it's, yeah, I guess I was waiting for a second film. It was kind of described to me very attractive. Oh, really? <laughs> it was a lot of young people in yeah. a house, and there was fucking all the way through it. <laughs> Is what I was told. That's probably a better description. And, and then it turns into something darker. Yeah. But I didn't hear what the darker was. Yeah, I didn't either. Maybe it was the, that was what it was for me was the turning it to something darker, and I just was thinking that there goes another film exploiting orgies. But yes, this is definitely an interesting film, and also it was a film that was compared, uh, the current film compared to Black Panther in the introductory really? conference. Yeah, Thierry Fremo said that it kind of you know, shakes up conventions that you assume without 
really realizing you're assuming them. Um, I assume he means the war movie for one in, in, in this one. Right, because the photo they've used to illustrate it are a lot of young women with assault rifles. Yes. Uh, yeah, and that's because it's one of those uh, all-female fighting squads that I guess are based upon actual yes, all-female all Kurdish fighting squads. So, yeah, that would be, that's going to definitely be uh, interesting. And f speaking of, like, prime weekend spots, that one's uh, Saturday night, I think. So that's pretty prime real estate. My, I'm, I think I almost want to say that's the, I was going to say it's the same as Carol or something, but actually I'm not sure if that's true. Maybe. maybe. I mean, they're very proud that they have three women directors in the lineup. Mm -hmm. Three out of something like, what, 21? 21, I think, yeah. yeah. And the other one is actually, at this point, the hardest ticket in town. Uh, Alice Rochers, I never say her True. name right, yeah. new film, uh, which has, um, you know, here the people who come to the market, not the press, but the market, what Tan calls the professionals. The press is not professionals. No. It's press and professionals. And they get their tickets in advance and they ask for them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they get them and sometimes they don't. Oh. And you look at the schedule and her film has a little red dot next to it, which means you can't get them yet, but they've gone. <laughs> Wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Where where is that where is that listed? If you're if you have a market pass, you, that's how you go on. Oh. You go online and you see the schedule for marketeers. I see. Wow. Well, that's that's kind of. I mean, it's it's almost an amusing turnaround considering how her last feature, uh, The Wonders. I mean, that was not like a hot no, no, property no. per se. So that's that's interesting. Then I mean, it was very good. It was very good. Yes, definitely. And this one is uh, the one we're talking about is Lazaro Felice, um, which translates as "Happy as Lazarus" or "Happy as Lazaro," um, which I looked up because it sounded like it was some sort of play on a phrase. And I guess that is something. Maybe it's kind of a know. some sort of idiomatic thing, which means uh, I guess really really happy because Lazarus was raised from the dead. That's on a Sunday. Uh, something to look forward to on a future podcast. Oh, the other one, really, the even hotter movie is Spike Lee's Black Klansman. Yes, absolutely. Uh, which people are really yeah. excited about. Are you excited about it? I'm always nervous. You know, I mean, I want him to do well always. Yeah. And he's a very mixed bag. Yeah. What did you think of uh, Chirac, for example? I thought Chirac itself was a mixed bag. There were things I really thought were great. Yeah. I thought it should have been, you know, you should have taken a half hour out of it. Yeah. It was, a, it could have been a really good satire. And then it just got weighted down is what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen with this one, but probably couldn't come at a, you know, more fraught time given the past two years mm -hmm. or past three years. Um, I mean, also interesting because that's a movie that's coming out in the summer. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's coming out just a month after another movie, which, I mean, Black Klansman is, uh, I, I was just reading an interview. I actually forget who on the team said that, but that it's kind of like a ready-made satire. Like it's based on true events, but it's, it's, it's sort of ready-made material for, it sounds like a social satire. Mm -hmm. um, so it's coming out this summer when you have Sorry to Bother You coming out. Uh, which, did you see that one at oh, Sundance? Sorry to Bother You, I thought was the great. There were two great films at Sundance, The King and Sorry to Bother ah, You for me. Yes. And I, Sorry to Bother You is going to be open. 
June, uh, July, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but it's going to be at the BAM Cinefest. It is, yes. It will It will be showing at the BAM Cinefest. I think it's their opening night film, actually. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. I, I mean, mean, I was very surprised that the Canton didn't take Sorry to Bother You. You never know. Mm-hmm. Maybe they didn't want it to go here. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to put that kind of money into it because it's very expensive right. for the financiers to come to Cannes. Yeah, that's always something that kind of behind the scenes that you're not aware of and affects where films are placed in the year. But I think ultimately, Sorry to Bother You seems to be, I think it's going to get the spotlight it needs. So yeah, definitely the Spike Lee movie, which is one of the sort of later in the festival and actually the same day as Under the Silver Lake, which is another anticipated title. I, I don't, what did you think of It Follows by the... the I'm director? ashamed to say I never saw It There's Follows a, because I don't... I didn't see it in theaters, yeah. you know, and I don't like to bring scary movies into my home okay. because it's scarier <laughs> to watch them there. Yeah. And, you know. yeah, when you're all alone, you have no one to, to scream with. <laughs> um, well, no, you just feel that you bought you whatever creature it is oh, yeah. into your house. Right. Where if you see it in the theater, it belongs in the theater and you walk home and there's a neutral space and then you're... That's interesting. I, yeah, I never I thought of it really that did. way. Yeah. Huh. Now I think it'll be even scarier when I do watch things that I brought something into my house. That's a very sinister idea. Um, so we'll be seeing seeing this here in the safety of Can, if you can call it safe. And Under the Silver Lake, I guess, is... I mean, it's hard to tell exactly what it is. But the, the title, I guess, is a play on Under the Silver Globe. I think Globe, so. The, and uh, Silver Lake, you know, not that I can claim to know anything about California geography, but it's I guess that's a hip neighborhood. Manola no. Dargis lives in Silver Lake. Everyone oh, okay. in the world lives in Silver Lake, yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Now showing on movie, Angela Shalinek's The Dreamed Path. This Berlin school auteur delivers a puzzling elliptical anti-love story and keeps changing our notion of narrative with her radical, quietly masterful filmmaking. Discover this along with 29 other hand-picked films streaming right now on MUBI for free. Just go to mubi.com slash film comment to claim your extended 30-day free trial. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by The Cinema Guild, presenting Hong Sang-soo's The Day After, a mordantly comic tale of infidelity and mistaken identity. With its ingeniously destabilizing leaps through time and stark black-and-white cinematography, the day after begins as a darkly hilarious look at a man embroiled in extramarital entanglements, but soon shifts into a heartfelt portrayal of a young woman on a quest for spiritual fulfillment. The day after opens May 11th, exclusively at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project celebrates the synergy between independent film and autograph collection hotels. Indie filmmakers and screenwriters tell stories that inspire and connect us, And at Autograph Collection Hotels, storytelling is in our DNA, enabling travelers to connect with each other and places around the world in a memorable way. This dynamic cultural program is anchored in three key programs, screenwriters in residency, free indie films streamed at hotels throughout the U.S. and Canada, a portfolio of beautiful hotels and key film festival destinations. Learn more by visiting autographcollectionhotels.com. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Tony Ziera's Filmworker. This fascinating documentary introduces audiences to Leon Vitale, who, after starring as Lord Bullingdon in Barry Lyndon, 
gave up acting to work as Stanley Kubrick's right-hand man. The story of their decades-long collaboration offers a rare glimpse into Kubrick's filmmaking process. An official selection of the 55th New York Film Festival, Filmworker opens May 11th at Metrograph with Q&As before expanding to select cities. But uh, there, you know, there are also films. Sometimes the exciting films to see here are the ones that don't yet have uh, distribution. For example, I don't think that Burning does the Lee Changdong film. I don't think it does, but Synetic just got involved with okay. uh repping it here, so maybe that means something. I don't know. Right. Uh I mean I thought poetry was an incredible film. Yes. No, I, I love poetry as well. I mean Burning is one of my uh more anticipated films here and I guess I've heard good things about it. I don't know how. <laughs> but um and that's curiously enough based on a Murakami short story. Oh, and I'm really anticipating the Matteo Garone yes. film, Dog Man, uh, because I thought, well, I thought his first film was really something, and I mm-hmm. saw it here, yeah. which was uh, basically a mafia in in where, in Naples right. film. Gamora. Really, yeah. really dark, but you know, wildly absurdist funny, too, yeah. but incredibly just just a very dark film in a way that I hadn't seen a dark film. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I'm in love with it, but I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it's true, and, and definitely something that kind of had a wider impact, That's I feel like. Uh, it, it was not just like kind of this in-a-bubble kind of art house hit. I and think. this... Uh, this, film this one has the, a really interesting premise. Yeah, what what is it again? Well, it's do, a dog man. It really is a veterinarian uh-huh. um, who lives in this small town, and somehow it says he gets on the wrong side of a very nasty boxer, <laughs> and he has to protect himself. And the illustration here is a huge, huge, huge. <laughs> Uh, black and white. Is that a Great Dane? Great Dane. Yeah. Only he looked bigger than any Great Dane I've ever seen. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hard to tell where that's going. I mean, I guess, I think they do hint that the dog man uh, is sort of turns violent at some point. I think that's uh-huh. what, yeah. So he might, he, the dog man might have some secrets, I think. And speaking of secrets, uh, I guess this is another year where, well, not another year, it's been a while, but Lars von Trier has a film about a more explicitly, I guess, deviant personality, a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the house that Jack built. We don't have to go into the whole Lars von Trier drama. It's sort of it's just this self-perpetuating thing. The house that Jack built, briefly, I, I guess I go to, into it uh, a little with trepidation, not because it's Lars von Trier, but because it's a serial killer movie. And I don't know what it is about serial killer movies. And I mean, it's almost like the auteur who does the serial killer movie becomes the serial killer <laughs> in terms of creating like set pieces, uh, you know, and being very exacting. It, it just becomes, I mean, it is this formula uh, that gives you this excuse to be kind of absolutely controlling with the subject. Um, matter in a way and and also you're dealing with like a you know a character that you're allowed to also you know be very surgical about in a way i mean when i read the description i thought it sounded a lot like 
uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, yes. which is one of the creepiest movies. I mean, it's yeah. very powerful, but I wish I hadn't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And this festival, sometimes, you know, there's like films on the horizon that make you want to go home. This is one of them. <laughs> you want to leave before that storm hits. Yeah. The other one was, uh, for me, was when uh, Gaspar Noé, when they showed Irreversible here. Oh, okay. And you spent the whole festival looking at posters and thinking, I've got to go and see this. Oh, no. <laughs> so Gaspar Noé also has a True. film here, not in uh, the main slate or in the... Co- out of competition, he has it in the other yes. festival, the alternative, the or alternative what fest. do we call it, the the Canton, the Can- director's fortnight, Yes, um, which used to have this feuding relationship with the rest of the festival. It also used to be much more political, and I don't know what's going on here in this festival about May 68, because now it is the 50th anniversary of May 68, and there were lots of going-ons in Paris. Um, In Cannes, there's a dress shop that's May 68 suddenly appeared, (laughs) and it's full of hippie gear. Oh, wow. Basically. So you can dress up as your favorite (laughs) rock-throwing 68 barricader. Yeah, it's true. I, 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 you know, you might think they would set something up. I mean, maybe in sometimes there are, you know, kind of coded anniversary celebrations in the classics. I guess we can pour over those. Um, but other than that, I mean, I guess also the festival ended up shadowed in the, the recent death of a like major cineast figure, um, Pierre Riesian. Um And Pierre was the great champion also of Lee Changdong. Uh, he was. Pierre's discovery, and uh, Pierre May discovered many, many filmmakers from Jane Campion to famously Clint Eastwood. He got Can to take, he was the person who got Can to realize that Clint Eastwood was a serious director. And um, he has many uh, uh, people who owe, both critics and uh, filmmakers, who really owe their careers to him. Mm. Oh, their careers to him. And he's been ill for a long time, but he died very suddenly and not necessarily related to his long-time illnesses. Mm. Um, yeah, and that happened just on the, I, I know, a few days before before the festival. And there's a film here that he made. That Right, that's in the cla- Can Classics um it's a film he made in the Philippines in 1942. Mm-hmm. I never saw it, but that's where they're going to do, they're going to dedicate the whole festival to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where they're going to do it. <clears throat> so, well, we're sort of nearing the end of our, our little tour. I don't know, were there any, any titles, other things you wanted well, to mention? only because it's the other woman, but I can't yes. pronounce the name of her film. The director's Nadine Labaki, and she's a Lebanese director, and she made this wonderful, wonderful film. Caramel, right? Caramel. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's In great. a beauty like salon that. yeah, like that's totally unlike any other beauty salon movie, and it's... It, just a wonderful film, and she's made, I think, two others since that didn't quite have yeah. that 
or at least for me, they didn't quite have that scope of caramel, which is, you know, so many different women in that culture, and all of them getting along in this beauty mm. salon. Yeah, I like that. Just really a kind of rules of the game that's too high a, you know, a bar, but that uh, um, model of a film. Yeah, yeah. Caparnum. All I know about it is that it's a fishing village, apparently, but I don't know how to pronounce it. And a couple other titles, maybe. There's the festivals ending with a, probably a bang and a whimper because it's ending with a very long uh, Nure <laughs> Bilgay Jalan film, which, you know, even as an admirer of his films, I, he, he definitely stretches a very wide campus. Um, but this one is The Wild Pear Tree. Uh, actually, a latest edition seemed to remember. Yes, came, it was. He fared very well with uh, Winter Sleep, uh, which was a the Palm Door winner. Maybe not. I don't know if everyone was entirely happy with that as a Palm Door film. And in some ways, it felt like a conservative choice. Well, uh, I just thought it was his worst film. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I much preferred Once Upon a Time in Anatolia, oh, yeah. which is there's a which really, is really good, a great film. yeah, and I really liked his very first film about the two brothers, the brother from the country and the brother from the city, and yeah, so that's one more, and then uh, a couple of Sir, Sergeys to mention, I guess mm -hmm. Sergei Dvorsovoy, right? Who has uh, a film called Aika and Dvorsovoy is from Kurdistan. But this is not, in, and you might know his great film called Tulpan. Tulpan, yeah. Which is shot all in the desert in Kurdistan yes. and is one of the wildest and just most wildly beautiful film. Yeah. Um, and seemed impossible to make in this place where there are always sandstorms and wind blowing and you can't imagine how they got the camera. Right. even to photograph anything, let alone right. to move it around in this crazy way they did. Yeah. This one is not in there. It's not even in Kurdistan. It's about a woman who goes to the city, to Moscow, I think, yeah. to raise her kid. Uh, and I've heard really good things about it. But yes, as as have I. Uh, so that's Sergei number one. Uh, Sergei number two would be Sergei Leznitsa, who uh, has uh, a film called Donbass, um, which actually, he's he's definitely, you know, I mean, speaking of filmmakers working with, you know, material that won't do him any favors uh, whenever they try to travel between, you know, former Soviet <laughs> republics. Um, this this is definitely one of them. It's 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 set in kind of a conflict area in the Ukraine, if I'm getting that right. Uh, and yeah, he's definitely definitely staring right at it. I'll, I'll, I'll always remember when he had Maidan here. Oh my lord. Yeah. He's uh I don't know sometimes I wonder how he how he can do it all uh, of these but I guess I guess he, I think he said once that he doesn't really go to Russia for example he kind of steers clear that's a discreet way of saying it <laughs> that's right yeah just hasn't had occasion to somehow and I don't know I mean there there are plenty here you know we could go on for for a while more but those are some... we barely touched on the <laughs> other section oh that's true uh, yeah which is I think where the Lesnitska is it's in certain regard right? that's true the uncertain regard section uh, which I mean I guess maybe part of the reason is it's it's often an area of the festival where you're confronted with a whole bunch of names and 
and even countries that you have not seen films from. Um, and so it's kind of harder to, you know, work out a, a very specific excitement <laughs> about them. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm curious about, um, I think it's in here. Isn't Rafiki in here? Yeah. Rafiki, which is the first Kenyan uh, entry in the festival, apparently. Uh, banned in its home country. Uh, I, it's, I guess it's a, a romance between two young women. So I'm, I have to be, you know, based upon the filmmakers, I don't know, a short film I saw. I was kind of curious about this one. In My Room, the Ulrich Kohler movie is also in here. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, we forgot to mention Banahi. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Who has, um, who is not apparently going to be able to come. They're not going to let him Yeah. travel. Yeah. Um, I don't know anything about this film, but... Um, yeah, I, I read somewhere that it's about three generations of actresses. Mm-hmm. But... And I can't tell if that means it's a documentary oh. or there are three generations of actresses playing three generations of characters. I really That's couldn't true. tell from the description. That's true. Um, yeah, yeah. Even a, even a Panahi, a Panahi description <laughs> has layers to it. Um, but yeah, he won't, he won't be here. So, you know. And, and, you know, you have to realize that this is a director who's under house arrest, right. but made this film. So I have no idea. Yeah. And he appears in it. Mm-hmm. And even just from the clips I've seen, he appears in it clearly like in the mountains at some point. Right. So he must have smuggled himself in a cake to, to the mountains at some point, um, to, to star in this movie. Um, so that's, yeah, another, another feat, um, and that's, yeah, it's kind of interesting to think of the very divergent paths of Jafar Panahi and Asghar Farhadi. Opening for Micro, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. Well, and maybe <laughs> you could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Just interesting. <laughs> uh, uh, Farhadi's one was shot in Spain, uh, and I just saw it tonight. It's this, The story is basically... There's a family wedding that goes on and someone's daughter goes missing and then they have, you know, seems to be like a ransomed kidnapping. So they have to figure out who's responsible. And then, it, you know, it's a Farhadi movie. So think secrets and lies are <laughs> revealed and there are there are there are twists, um, and, uh, you know. One of the revelations, I have to say, was greeted by laughter by the audience. I don't know if by that point, sometimes laughter can be making fun of it. Sometimes it's just the tension of it. I honestly couldn't tell because um, uh, I know you know people did seem to enjoy the film and others did not. For me, what happened to me with the movies, I, re- I remembered a piece we ran uh, filed from Tehran a couple issues ago uh, um, by Godfrey Cheshire about the Fajr Film Festival where he talked to a producer there who had this really like kind of damning description of Asghar Farhadi's formula in a way that basically he's making detective stories, but he, he's just very effectively telling kind of a middle-class over middle-class dramas, but through a detective story medium um, and just through that narrative, uh, you know, I don't know what you want to call Hanukkah light or something, you know, he's, he's able to make something that's, pretty, you know, uh, often very intensely watchable. And when it's nested within, you know, Iranian society, you know, where kind of secrets and hiddenness has a different valence there as well, you know, you get movies like A Separation, for example. This is set in Spain. It's headlined by superstar couple Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz, uh, and also has Ricardo Darín, um, 
So it's, it's, you know, a different environment. But that's what came to mind when I watched it. There's even kind of a drawing room scene in the beginning where everyone's just sitting in a room saying, so what happened? What do we think happened? And I, and I immediately thought of this idea of the detective mystery. So that's, that's the beginning of the festival. Um, and, you know, more to come. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> you didn't have any other final... That's, we can no, okay. I have a story. I have oh, an actor. I, please, I have yes. gossip. <laughs> oh, please, yes. Um, I don't know. No one told me not to tell this, so I will. Okay. It's a hilarious story. Okay. Because it has something to do with the Film Society, which just, just had a Lucretia Martel retrospective, right? Yes, and did. Lucretia and she was there. Martel was in town, and, she, mm. and Zama is still playing, I guess. Yes, it's doing well. So apparently... Um, Marvel decided that they were going to see every woman, they were going to interview every woman director in the world to see if she was appropriate to do a Marvel movie. And so their list had Lucretia Martel on it. And Lucretia Martel went to see the Marvel people. And while she was there, they told her what the deal was. I mean, the deal was that they were interested in the female directors for um, to work with the actors and do the scenes that required dialogue. And then there was going to be a male director that would do all the action scenes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and that's all I know. <laughs> and then... But you still kind of want to see that Marvel movie, even given yeah, that. I mean, I don't think she got the job. I don't think she would take the job. Yeah. But yeah. she has, I'm sure I know why she wanted to do the interview, because yeah. she's had this big science fiction right. project for a very long time. Right. That was the kind of unrealized project that, that Zama grew out of, in, in a way, the frustration from that. Wow. All right. So that's probably the best thing I'll find out again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, well, you heard it here first. Look for it in the Marvel Universe. All right. Well, thank you very much, Amy. Thank you, Nick. Sleep well. Sleep well. Autograph Collection Hotels are carefully chosen for their unique design, passion for craft, and an inherent connection to the locale. Each hotel has its own exactly-like-nothing-else story to tell. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project supports independent film and celebrates the power of storytelling to inspire and connect people and places by leaving a lasting imprint. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Filmworker. This documentary about Leon Vitale, who gave up acting to work with Stanley Kubrick for decades, offers a rare glimpse into Kubrick's filmmaking process. In theaters starting May 11th. Once again, thank you to Mubi for sponsoring this episode. Instead of offering hundreds of films, Mubi proudly presents just 30, every single one chosen by a human, not an algorithm. Don't forget to check out The Dreamed Path, now streaming. Claim your extended 30-day free trial at Mubi, M-U-B-I.com, slash The playlist calls the day after soulful and profound. The Cannes and New York Film Festival hit opens May 11th exclusively at the Film Society of Lincoln Center.